Welcome to the Sunday Message Podcast of Bethany Church in Fresno, California. We hope this message will encourage and equip you as you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. If today's message helps you, share it with a friend. If you would like to know more about the ministry of Bethany Church, please reach out on Facebook or at BethanyChurchFresno.com. And now, here's this week's message. One of the first things I heard today when I walked in and started talking to some people is them just saying, man, I'm tired. Anybody out there tired? Tired? Well, I told this individual, I said, you know, there's no place better to sleep than church, right? <laughs> I mean, I learned to sleep in church when I was really young. My, my mom and dad took me to church the first week that I was born. And uh, my dad used to used to uh, preach once in a while out of a place called Linnell Camp. I don't know if anybody ever heard of that before. It was a place where migrant workers worked outside of Visalia area. And uh, my mom said that, that they would take a bench and they'd flip it over and then just put my blanket in there and lay me down. And I learned to sleep in church that way. Now it's how. So, you know, if you need to stretch out, there's a whole row down here. You can put your feet up and it won't bother me at all. All right. But... Uh, you know, when we get tired, sometimes um, that's when we, we kind of lose our ability to control ourselves. Uh, we get a little bit tired and we get a little grumpy. You know, you get a little bit of grumpiness going in. Uh, some people, when they get hungry, you know, we're fasting this week. Get hungry, you get hangry. You heard that term, right? Yeah, so so living in the world that we live in today, and this is how it's been for a long, long time, but, you know, it's hard. And it, it can sometimes just be exhaustingly hard. And when, when you when you approach life, you wake up in the morning, you feel like you need a nap, you know, and and then you start talking about your spiritual life and, and how we live in a world that is really now what they call post-Christian. That we used to live in a world, at least in the Western, you know, Western uh, part of the world, the United States and Canada. You know, they called it. We had kind of a Christian culture for a long time. And we, we talked Christian. We we kind of acted Christian. Uh, it was kind of a general sense. If you were in the United States, you were a Christian. It's not that way anymore. Um, pluralism has really set in big time. And to be a Christian in today's world means that it's a challenge. Um, it's like Christy was, was saying and helping us sing about, it's a battle some days. And, and I don't know about you, but some days I just feel battle-weary um, because the world just keeps coming at you and coming at you and coming at you. Well, you know, this is it's nothing new. We know that. Uh, it's been around for thousands of years. and uh, And I've known people, and I think you know people too, that started off great with God. They came to faith, and yet their life, whatever their circumstances were, and this may apply to some of us here in the room, it just became a chore to try to live up, live into my faith. And so I know people who have given up. They gave in. And they've they kind of turned away. And, and one of the questions that people have asked me as a pastor many, many times, more times than I, I care to even think about, 
is that they talk about a, a child or maybe a friend or even a spouse that that was at one time on fire for Jesus and has since walked away. And the question is, are they still saved? It's a great question. I, I served in youth ministry for many years and I saw kids come to faith and get so excited about Jesus. And then six months later, a year later, they were nowhere to be found. And sometimes you you would go after them and try to lure them back in with whatever you know power that you felt you had. And there was resistance. There was one moment, there was a little girl just on fire for Jesus and then she just disappeared from youth group. And I remember we, we had a normal thing of going out and visiting other kids in the youth group and stuff. And, and some of the kids said, we got to go talk to her. And we finally found her. Uh, we said, hey, you know, how's it going? And she had a pretty rough past. And uh, she said, you know, I'm, I'm not just not interested anymore. And those of us that were trying to persuade her to come back to youth group and such, she, she just didn't want to have anything to do with it. And she ended her, her conversation with us with this. She said, I know I'm going to go to hell, but I don't care because what I'm experiencing in this life, the pleasure that I'm seeking now is more important to me than my eternal life. Wow. It brought me to tears, literally. And, and what do you do with that? What do you do with that when, when people, they know, they recognize that God loves them. He created them to have a relationship with him. And he's gone to such lengths to die for their, for their sins and to embrace them. And they just push it aside. How does that happen? I know there's probably some of us in the room who at least have wandered had our own personal wilderness experience, uh, prodigal son kind of scenario where we've, we've gone away and, you know, thanks be to God, we're, we're back, right? Um, so some of us have experienced that. But the Bible does speak into this issue. And uh, we're going to look at um, some passages in the Old Testament today and some of the New that, are, that really address this whole issue and, and how do we deal with it. How do we remain faithful while we're living in a world that's filled with idol worship, lack of a better word, okay? Um, it's interesting in Joshua chapter 24, right at the end of Joshua's life, um, he had something to say to the Israelites. He said, if you are not able to serve the Lord, if you forsake the Lord to serve other foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you. So fast forward to verse 23. So throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord. Now, I know this is an Old Testament passage, but it really applies to us in the New Testament era as well. Uh, similar things have been said to us as well. That to have this single passion for God. Love him with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, everything that you are. Set aside those other things. Take off the things that are, that are hindering you from, from becoming the kind of person that God would love you to be again because he wants the best for you. 
right? So how do people become estranged from God? How does that process happen? Well, I think there's a a bit of a natural progression that happens when people move away from God. Uh, Commitment is replaced by complacency. It's just kind of, it just becomes the norm. You kind of, you know, operate in that system, if you will, without the passion. And ultimately, it leads to some level of compromise. And when we start compromising on the truth of what God says to, I guess, better be able to fit in or to have a little more fun, then um, it leads to us not only compromising, but then finally just choosing that uh, as a lifestyle. And that will eventually bring you down. Now, what's really interesting is Joshua's words. He says that um, throw those things away. Get them out of your sphere of influence. We talked a little bit about that last week. But if, if we go to the passage we're going to deal with the rest of the morning here, Judges chapter 2, uh, open your Bibles, your Bible app, and, and uh, we're going to start at verse 6. It says, after Joshua sent the people away, um, each, uh, not Joshua, um, uh, help me, Ju- judges, yes, okay, wow, okay, uh, yes, so af- after he sent the people away to take possession of the land allotted to them, uh, the Israelites served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the leaders who outlived him, that's interesting. Uh, those who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. But after Joshua and that generation died, another generation grew up that did not acknowledge the Lord and remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. You, you, you catch in here? When God chose a godly person to lead, remember Joshua and Caleb, they were the, the pair who had the faith in God to go in and conquer the land that God was going to give them. They didn't, they didn't regard the giants in land or anybody else as a problem because God had the power. And they said, let's go do this. So they became the leaders of the nation of Israel. And as long as they were alive, the people were okay. They had some kind of sense of direction. Uh, they had a spiritual mentor, a spiritual guide that they looked to for direction and sometimes correction, right? And and yet it says after a generation grew up that didn't acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done, memory is huge. It, we we need to have people in our lives that remind us, keep telling us the story of the great things that God has done. You know, I want to encourage you older people in the congregation here, if you haven't yet written down some stuff, or recorded on, on videotape or whatever. Tape? Video? Where'd I go? Woo! That, uh, digital video, okay. Uh, show my age here. If you haven't done that yet, write down the story of how you came to faith. Who was important in your life that kind of kept you on task? Who was your mentor? What, what are some of the miraculous things that God did in your life through you because you yielded yourself to God? Make sure you write that down or record it so that your ancestors, your grandkids see it. They hear it from you. 
who see your handwriting. That's important. Remember, during, during the process of, of Israel becoming, you know, more and more dedicated to God uh, in the Passover time when he, he let them uh, out, of, out of bondage uh, from Egypt, he said, write these things, write these things on your doorposts, put them on your gates. I mean, write them on your forehead. That's interesting, right? I guess, you know, kudos for tattoos. But, you know, what we're saying here is that you need to have kept in front of you all the miraculous things that God has done. If you don't, if you forget them, some serious things could happen. So we need to remind ourselves of those things. It's okay to have a, a poster or a placard or a necklace or whatever it, it is that you see every single day that's going to help you remember the things that God has done. Because you, if you don't, if you forget the good news, if you forget the miraculous of God, then that compromise, that complacency is going to lead to the next thing. And, and it, it comes in verse 11. The Israelites did evil in the sight in the Lord's sight, and and serve images, the images of Baal. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They went after other gods, worshiping the gods of the people around them. That's significant that they didn't, I mean, they were at a point where they were going after the, these images. They were going after these other gods. They weren't just sitting back and the gods invading their space. They were going after them. Very interesting. So what does God say is really the evil thing here? Um, turning to love and serve other idols, other gods with a small g, right? That's really the evil thing. Uh, one commentator said um, the Israelites, they, they prostituted themselves. That was in the scripture. And he, and he commentates on this by saying prostitutes then and often now too are people who are giving themselves well, without getting any real love in return. Isn't that interesting? Someone goes to a prostitute to be loved intimately, and they get nothing in return, really. It's just a transaction. And he goes on to say that when we serve an idol, we come into an intense relationship with it, within which it uses us, but does not truly care for us. We become completely vulnerable to it. We're a little more than a slave to it. See, the things that, that, that we embrace, the things that we take into our lives that we, 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 we like a little too much, it, it compromises our faith. It brings us into a situation to where we're really not operating the way God wants us to, but it's so fun. It's so good. It's so pleasurable. Um, I, I'm, I'm a little taken back by, by uh, some, some of the teenagers that, and adults now that are so involved in video gaming, video streaming, and the games are supposedly innocent because it's a game. And yet you're going to play Grand Theft Auto until 1 a.m. in the morning. Well, it's just a game. But really, you're satisfying this desire to kind of be a little, you know, bad. Right? There's so many games that are violent games. Well, I would never hit anybody. 
But then you, you're playing a game for hours where you're, you're literally slaughtering people. Now, I'm, I'm not for war, but boy, I want to play that game where I can go in as a Navy SEAL and, and blow people away. Think, well, you're being a little bit hard here, aren't you? I mean, they're games. Yeah, they're, they're games that lead to you feeling and engaging with ideas and thoughts and desires that are ungodly. And it starts very simply by playing a game like Pong, (laughs) right? Because we get used to just playing with the computer and playing games and doing things. And are, Are we redeeming the time when we do those kinds of things? The same thing could be said for watching television. Or listening to music. Or, and I'm not, I'm not trying to throw darts at anybody here, okay? I'm just saying that, that we live in a post-Christian world and Satan has his way of invading every area of people's lives in a starting, starting in a subtle way, but that leads eventually to turning our eyes away from making Jesus our everything to making Jesus our once-a-week thing. Right, and we all we all know that, we all know that. But what do we do about it? Right, First John two, uh, fifteen and seventeen says, "Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only get this, craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything that we see." and a pride in our achievements and possessions. It pretty much covers it, right? Seekers of pleasure, making our life as comfortable as we can, seeing things, and then buying it on Amazon because we've got our credit card already logged in, and then we just got this one-touch purchase, right? Wow. Wow. It's subtle, and it's not easy to navigate. I mean, there are things that we do need in life. We do need to purchase some things. We do need, we, we do want to have fun. We want to have a game night, right? But at the same time, you know, how do we, how do we live our life with the scriptures in mind that say that we are to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength? How do we make sure that, that, that Jesus stays in first place? The passage goes on. It says, these things are not from the Father, but are from this world. And the world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Now, I, I want to insert here that I'm a firm believer in God's grace, right? Um, we are saved by grace through faith not by works, lest any of us boast about how great we are and how strong we've been and how dedicated we are. We are still saved by grace. But what this is saying is that that if we're saved by God's grace, we then need to be about the, the, the process of becoming more and more and more like Jesus. And the New Testament is just full, and in the Old Testament too, full of just this concept, this idea that, we need to fall back in love with our creator 
and live in the way that he originally designed us to operate and live in harmony and love with him and other people. And if there's anything that's distracting us from that basic concept, then we've got to go to work on getting rid of those things that influence us, that takes us off of that priority. Okay? Now, Jesus said in Mark 12.30, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. These are Jesus' words. Isn't it amazing how we, we throw the word love around so easily now? I know I preached about this one other time, but a good thing is worth saying twice, okay? We need to be careful how we use the term love, right? Ooh, I love that song. Oh, I love that television program. Ooh, 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 ooh. You know, I love this, I love that. And yet sometimes we don't realize how subtle that term is influencing us into falling in love with those things. And so maybe just say, that is a great song. You know, that was a good piece of pie. I could have another one, right? Um, but keep love reserved for, for God and people, okay? Because that's what we're supposed to do, okay? The pagan worldview was and still is that there are many, many gods I mean, they had gods like agriculture, business, love, music, war, etc. And, and each one had a particular influence, control over that area, they, they assumed. <clears throat> none of them, now this is interesting, none of those foreign gods demanded complete, complete attention. They were okay because they had their specific area, Right? God of agriculture wasn't mad at the God of love, who wasn't mad at the God of war, right? I mean, it, it's just like, hey, you get it. And so what you do is, you, you know, you go to the God store and you, and you pick up a little bit of love and a little bit of agriculture and a little bit of this or that. And you have your little basket of gods. And, and in any, in any, you know, uh, household, you'd see several gods. Because... You know, now we need the God of this, and now we need the God of that, and now we need the God of that, right? Keep that in mind. They, they, weren't, they weren't put off by the fact that there were other gods. Matter of fact, more the merrier. Bring them on, you know? God, the God of Israel, our God, the creator God, says no. You don't need any of those other gods. I'm the one who provides everything you need. Everything you need. And so, no wonder why the world didn't like the God of Israel, didn't like Jesus. Why? Because he said, you, you're going to come to the Father only through me. I'm the only way, right? So, um, we come back here to, to the big reason the next generation has left the church. Um, it's because we were so intent on believing the right things and we were having wars about the Bible and what it said and how it was going to be interpreted because we needed to believe the right things. And yet at the same moment, sometimes in our, in our argument to believe the right things, we were breaking the greatest commandment to be loving, right? 
We engaged in battle. I remember there was a, there was a, a book written several years ago called Battle for the Bible. And it was all about interpretation of scripture. And here were these supposedly godly men who actually wrote the names of other people in this book to tear them down and their ideas about how to interpret the Bible, to tear them down and, and to, as we would say now, cancel them in our culture because of how they interpreted the Bible. You know what? People see the tiffs that we have with one another as Christians and they shake their heads. I remember one, one great Christian writer, he, he said, you know, it, it's kind of like, you know, there's this, there's this Christian cruise ship, you know, and everybody's on the deck and they're fighting each other. And here's somebody who was on a raft who has, is needing salvation. And they look up at this ship and they say, you know, it's like, here's, there's, here's the salvation. And they say, no, thank you. Get on that boat and it, it's a war zone. I'll take my chances out here on my raft. You know? And, and so we need to be careful. Yes, there, there are people who think differently than we do, other Christians. But the bottom line is, can we share our ideas and, and sh- can we share with one another in a peaceful, considerate, respectful, kind way? And be okay with someone if they're a little bit different than we are? And in your mind, you can still say they're wrong, right? But don't be mean about it, all right? And, and, and we need to understand that that this issue has been around for a long time. Uh, I remember one time, you know, we were at church, and I don't remember what the sermon was, but it was about being, you know, uh, I, th- I think it was about the, the, the legal system and stuff and how we as Christians need to submit to the authorities and stuff over us and stuff. And so one of the ideas was about, you know, like, do you obey the laws as a Christian that in the land that you live in? Yeah, we should. Unless it unless that law is keeping you from worshiping and obeying and loving God with all your heart, then you need to obey that law. Right. And I can't really think of any on the books right now that that say, you know, you have to buy this or you have to, you know, that, that are making me break my Christian commitment, right? And one of them was immediately, you know, somebody mentioned the speed limit. Just saying, right? It's amazing. Most kids, when they get to the, I call it the, the Sherlock Holmes stage, okay? They get to that Sherlock Holmes stage and, and, and suddenly they see things that are inconsistent, Right. So I remember we were driving home in the car and my dad was going over the speed limit, you know, and I said, hey, dad, you're breaking the law. Okay, he's like, shut up and sit down, you know. (laughs) Right. I mean, cops don't stop you unless you're 10 miles an hour, over 10 miles an hour over the speed limit. So, you know, I'm really within. I'm and in my mind, I'm going like, guys, a lawbreaker. Right. But don't we do that? Don't we do that? And, and what we need to understand is maybe there's a reason why some of our children and some of our grandchildren aren't wanting, wanting to even engage in church. It's because we led an inconsistent life where we allowed many gods to invade our space and we were okay with it. And, and we didn't... I, I'm not saying to... 
You know, we, we can't live cloistered, pull away, and live this life in a bubble that's just all Christian, right? Because otherwise, how would we worship, how would we, we witness other people? But we need to, to know how to fortify our own lives and help the ones that we love live in a way that is loving and yet still dedicated to God and the truth of the scripture. It's a hard thing to do. It's not easy. Well, so how do we remain faithful? Well, number one, I think, Proverbs 3, verses 11 to 12 says this, Don't reject the Lord's discipline, and don't be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those he loves, just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. Um, To accept God's discipline uh, for the wayward Israelites was to allow the consequences of their compromise to gain full effect. As a parent, have you ever done that? You kind of let the kid's sin run its course to get caught, right? Sometimes the worst thing that can happen to us is for God to give us what we want. You know? We pray for this or that, or the other thing to, you know, and God says, well, it's not really, you know, scriptural. It's not really what's in the Bible, but he allows you to kind of move the direction. And there are self consequences that take place. I don't know if anybody would, you know, I, those happen to me many times, right? Overindulgence. Let me just take that one for, you know. I remember I wanted to win a pizza eating contest so bad that I ate 30 pieces of pizza. Were there consequences? <laughs> you bet I didn't eat pizza for three years after that, you know? Yeah, th- there are consequences for sin. And so- sometimes God says, you know, I love you so much that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you experience what it's like to be there. And suddenly you realize, how in the world did I get here? And God says, yeah, it was because of a little decision you made that grew into a big decision and into a lifestyle. And you found yourself here now because you didn't obey when you could have, right? So that's one of the ways that God disciplines us. Um, verse 14 in, uh, in Judges chapter 2 says that this made the Lord burn with anger their movement back to pursue idols. So he handed them over to the raiders and who stole their possessions. He turned them over to their enemies all around and they were no longer able to resist them. And every time Israel went out into battle, the Lord fought against them, causing them to be defeated just as he warned. And the people were in great distress. Then the Lord raised up judges to rescue the Israelites from their attackers. Now, isn't that interesting? God allows the circumstances to play out. You're going to have other gods in your life. You're not going to be completely dedicated to me. I'm going to let it play out to the point where finally you're going to, you're going to call out to God. And some of us have been there on our knees. God, please help. I'm at my wit's end. I don't know what to do. I've made a mess of my own life and I need help. You know, God is loving and he is full of grace. And one of the things we're going to see in this study of Judges is that people are allowed to pursue their their foreign gods, to do their own thing, their own way. Remember at the end of Judges it says, and everybody did what was right in their own eyes, not in God's eyes, but in their own eyes. And what happened? It led to disaster. And at the end of every generation, 
What? God is compassionate. He hears and he raises someone up. And remember when we first started, when the people had a leader that was dedicated to God, they did what was right. They had someone who set the bar high and, and, and set the example for someone to live. In the New Testament, Paul said, you know, if you, if you don't know how to live, look at my life. He wasn't saying that he was perfect. He was saying, yeah, look at my mistakes too, but look at how gracious God has been to me and, and live that way if you can't find any other example. Well, we have lots of good examples in Scripture. I think that you've probably got some examples in your family tree, maybe in your own family, that you need to emulate their lifestyle. Ask them how they navigated their life and how they were able to experience some measure of success, right, uh, in their Christian life. But God is so loving that he takes a disaster and he raises up another judge and that judge sets things right and then the people obey, 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 obey until that judge dies. And when that judge dies, guess what happens? Right? Downhill again. And so there's this cycle, right? And so we want to find out how can we break that cycle of sin, okay? How do we do that? Well, God, God says that he did all this to test Israel, to see whether or not they would follow the ways of the Lord. Now, you think that if you think that that's mean spirited, that God would test us. Now, it's not mean spirited. It's a loving father who says there are some things you can only learn by experience. I mean, you can tell, 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 but until sometimes, you know, I've got, I got one kid and I won't name which one it is and the other one, right? <laughs> right? And it was so night and day different. One you could tell and they would just, hey, that, that's a good idea, dad. You know, that's, the other one is like, I'll find out for myself. Thank you very much. Right? And they had to, they did. And so we each individually come to this with our own personality, our own lifestyle, whatever we we have in our in our you know life. But we need to respond to God at some point. But understand, He is loving, He is compassionate, He is full of grace and kindness and and forgiveness. So, um, life among the idols. We're in it. We're doing it. Uh, what we believe is important, but what we do with that belief is equally. Important. So we need to, number one, accept God's discipline as it comes down to us. Two, fully commit yourself to God. There's no such thing as a halfway covenant. I mean, have a time of prayer today and say, God, am I missing something? Have I compromised? Is there something in my sphere of influence that I've allowed to get my attention a little too much? where I'm not paying enough attention to you, okay? So what we believe is important, what we do is important, and don't forget to review how graceful and loving God has been in your life and how much he has already forgiven you. Maybe maybe build a monument or write a poem or do something on the wall or whatever you need to do to remember how good, how gracious, how loving God is, Okay? All right, let's pray. God, thank you for loving us so much. Uh, heavy subject, 
Living among idols. We do that, God, every day. And some of those idols are things that we are currently pursuing because it brings pleasure. We crave it. Um, it brings, it builds up our ego, um, makes us look good in the, in the eyes of other people. Um, Lord, keep us from those vain pursuits and help us to pursue you with all of our heart, strength, mind, and soul. We, we know that this is your desire for us because it's the best thing. It, it is ultimately what will bring us the most pleasure and the most joy. So God, um, help us to clear out the idols that are in front of us, around us, among us, in order to serve you fully. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that will help us do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Know that God loves you more than you can imagine. And for everything Bethany Church, check out BethanyChurchFresno.com.